0: Thanks, Matt. Uh, good evening, everybody. Uh, my name's Tim. I'm the pastor of the 1045 AM service and uh, person who you're going to hear from for uh, the next three weeks. We're actually be- going to be looking at the Lord's Prayer uh, for the next three weeks. Uh, and then we're going to be coming back to the second half of it uh, in the uh, holidays in September. So uh, going to be taking our time. Uh, and uh, it's a great thing to do because people have been praying for thousands of years. Christians have been praying for 2,000 years, uh, and it's great to think about who we are and what we're doing. And as we do this, uh, each sermon, I'm going to come along and pray a a classic prayer from a famous historical person. So tonight, as we start, we're going to pray a prayer from a guy from 500 years ago called Ulrich Zwingli, and he's awesome because he died with a battle axe in hand. So uh, uh, he was also a theologian. Let's bow our heads and pray, and then we'll, we'll jump in. Living God, help us to hear your holy word with open hearts, so that we may truly understand, and that understanding we may believe, believing that we may follow in all faithfulness and obedience, seeking your honour and glory in all that we do, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Uh, Well, one of my favourite moments of one of my favourite TV shows, The Simpsons, is, uh, happened in series two. It's an episode where Bart Simpson gets an F in a test. And that means for him that he has one more chance to pass the test. And if he fails that test, he's going to have to repeat fourth grade. And so... It's great to watch over the weekend. He tries all kinds of strategies. I need to focus. I need to pass. I need to work for the first time in my life. But everything keeps on falling apart. His family invite him off to do something else. Other things kind of don't work. He never quite gets to the study. And so on Sunday night, maybe you've had this experience. Knowing what is before him the next day, he does something he has never done before. He gets down on his knees and he prays to God. He says, I just need one more day. A teacher strike, a power failure, a blizzard, anything that will cancel school tomorrow. I know it's asking a lot, but if anyone can do it, you can, God. Thanking you in advance, Bart Simpson. He has gotten to the point where he is desperate and he cries out. And as his little sister, Lisa, walks past in the background, she muses, ah, prayer, the last refuge of the scoundrel. Is this what prayer is for us? Is prayer either that thing you do when I have exhausted all of my human capacity, when I've used all of the skills or the gifts or the talents that I had and I, weren't, I wasn't able to achieve something, then I pray and I say, God, can you do that impossible thing for me so that I can finally have it? God is the one who delivers when I can't do it myself. Or is Lisa right? Prayer is that thing that when you're a real rat bag, You run out of other opportunities. Nobody else is going to forgive you. And so you pray to God, hoping God is the one who is going to deliver. Is prayer the get-out-of-jail-free card from a Monopoly game? It's in my back pocket, and it's a thing I pull out when there are no other options. Or maybe as you approach prayer, you think it's a little bit like uh, the televangelist Kenneth Copeland does. He came onto my radar because he was the guy who uh, was on a YouTube video explaining why God needed to give him a bigger jet plane uh, because he couldn't do his ministry if he was flying in cattle class with the rest of the plebs like me because that's like being surrounded by demons. He needed his own plane. But I suspected that YouTube put him onto my channel uh, last week because he was praying about healing away bald spots on your head and I thought, well, that, you know, that kind of works. Um The worst part of watching it is I saw him up there and he said, you've got to put your hands on your head and you pray, hair grow, hair grow, hair grow, baldness be gone. And then it cut to a guy who was in his congregation who was even more of a chrome dome than I am. And you could see this poor guy rubbing his head and praying. And I thinking he's rubbing the only hairs he has left off his head. The Kenneth Copeland approach to prayer is to say, God is just waiting there to give you everything that you not just want, but anything that you need or even kind of think that you might desire. If you name it, uh, you can claim it and God will deliver it. Whether or not it's a a bald spot or a Bentley, it might be healing your elbow or giving you a high-powered plane. God is there to give you what you need or at least what you want. And if you want it and you ask for it and then you don't get it, that's telling you that you don't pray hard enough. You've got to work harder and then you can get that thing that you ask for. Is prayer like a shopping list? It's that place where I bring the stuff that I want and then God just I kind of coughs it up like he's an Amazon account. Now, most of us would hear these two extremes and we'd say confidently that we know prayer isn't like this. God is more than just a last resort. He's more than just an ATM where I ask for stuff. But if there's one thing that I've experienced over uh, 13 or so years in full-time ministry is just the number of conversations I've had with people where they say, I feel like I just don't pray enough. Uh, And when I I do pray, I'm not entirely sure what I should be praying. So over the next three weeks of holidays and then returning in September, we're going to be taking a trip through arguably the most famous prayer of all time. It's only a couple of verses in uh, Matthew chapter 6. You can also see another version of it in Luke. But we're going to spend six weeks in total to think about uh, what Jesus is saying, what is Jesus' approach to prayer, the mindset or the framework that he gives, and unpack what is actually at the heart of what Jesus is saying as he's giving this example of a prayer. Uh, But before we do that, we're going to spend a bit of time this week looking at the preamble, the verses just before the famous Lord's Prayer, And this is where Jesus really mentions two ways that we shouldn't approach prayer before he reminds us of God's attitudes when it comes to speaking to him. Uh, I was trained as an Anglican minister. That means I have to have three points and they all have to have an alliterative letter. So we've got hypocrite, hollow and heart. Uh, Don't be a prayer hypocrite, Jesus starts. Don't aim for hollow prayer, something that doesn't actually resonate with uh, who you are or what you're about. And finally, remember God's heart when it comes to prayer. We're going to kick off by looking at what Matthew 6 has to say in verse 5. Uh, Whenever you pray, don't be like those hypocrites because they love to pray standing up in synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. Uh, One of the phrases that has entered the vernacular in the last decade uh, is the phrase virtue signaling. Uh, It uh, was coined by a journalist in 2015 and what he was trying to capture as he spoke about virtue signaling is that it's become more and more popular online uh, to gain some kind of social credit, and uh, not by getting out and getting involved, going out of the street and maybe going to a protest, but by clicking a like that says that you like something that is socially popular at the time. Maybe it's uh, something thoughtful or environmental or a particular cause. It, it also brought the other wonderful phrase, clicktivism. I don't want to be an activist because I might get arrested, but I can be a clicktivist and I earn all the good vibes as if I've done something good without actually having to leave my house. It was postulated it's a really valuable thing because it's really easy, even on your phone these days, just to click on something and to say, I don't know, I'm against uh, deforestation. It's much easier to click that than it is to actually go to the shops when you're doing your shopping and think, I'm not going to buy anything that has palm oil in it unless it's kind of socially inappropriately Uh, Gained because I know that that causes deforestation. One is a momentary experience where I want to appear like I'm a a thoughtful person, uh, and the other is something that I'd really actually have to change who I am and maybe how I do things. Uh, It was a new phrase, but in reality, uh, virtue signaling is just a a variation of what Jesus is talking about at the beginning of this passage, when he calls people and and warns them that they don't want to be hypocrites. Uh, Chris mentioned uh, almost a month ago that uh, the word hypocrite comes from the uh, Greek word Hippocrates. Uh, and uh, essentially what it's talking about is the, the mask wearer. In the Greek days, if you went to the cinema or the theatre in those days, uh, an actor it was a, just a normal person. He could be walking down the street, and he's just a guy, you know. You, you hang out with him. You have coffee with him. He's a nice bloke. But when they step onto, screen, onto the stage and they put on the mask, they leave behind the person that they are, and they become the character of the mask. Uh, it is something that is uh, sort of between him and the crowd, or her and the crowd, and when it comes back off again, they go back to being a regular kind of person. The character and the person have no connection between the two of them. So before Jesus gets on what to pray, he points out that you don't want to be a hypocrite. You don't want to be a person who likes to signal how virtuous they are by praying eloquently in public and putting on that mask as if you have everything together, when really you don't actually want to talk to God at all. It's really about the way you connect with others. In Jesus' picture, it's clear that the hypocritical prayer puts on that mask when they pray. It's not heartfelt, it's not personal, but it's an opportunity to play that role. And I think anybody who's stood at this microphone before has felt that temptation. I certainly do. I love to think that people might think I'm a a deep and spiritual person. I love using polysyllabic words that make me sound that I'm smarter than I actually am. It's great to think that people might think, wow, Tim is mature and thoughtful and put together. He always knows how to phrase things. He's really a godly guy. But if that is my motivation, if that is really what drives me, all I really care about is this kind of relationship, the horizontal and not the vertical relationship. Jesus' responds to this, truly I tell you, he says, they have their reward. If that is what people are after, if that is what we're looking for as we pray in public, uh, then that is all we're going to get. I might get your uh, praise. You might think I'm a good guy. uh, But God God isn't actually playing in that kind of uh, uh, equation. So Jesus says, don't be a hypocrite when you pray. When we pray, our goal is to speak to the God who made us not impress the people around us. But wait, I hear you say. Jesus goes on to say, when you pray, go into a private room. Shut your door. Pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who is in secret will reward you. So why are we praying together as a group at all? Shouldn't we only be praying privately? That is a fantastic question. Thank you very much for asking it. What Jesus is getting at here is not actually an absolute rule, but a point of comparison. And I can give you four reasons why we know that is the case. Uh, Firstly, we see that just four verses after he talks about uh, praying in private, uh, Jesus gives us the Lord's Prayer. And did you notice that the Lord's Prayer is not uh, I statements, but it has we statements. Our Father in heaven, give us our daily bread, forgive us our sins. Jesus anticipates that prayer is something that will actually happen in community. Uh, Secondly, we see that Jesus even uh, models public prayer. Uh, later in Matthew chapter 11, verse 25, you could read Jesus himself praying in front of a crowd of people. Jesus also taught his disciples in places like Matthew 18, uh, verse 19, that when two people agree on something, they should pray together and that they should ask for it, that individuals might come together and pray with each other. And later on uh, in books like uh, uh, the book of Acts, in chapter 4, verse 24, Uh, we'll see gathered Christians coming together in larger groups and praying together because it is a valuable thing for them to do. So if Jesus isn't laying a a blanket rule down about public prayer, uh, what is he getting at? Well, I think uh, commentator Kevin DeYoung uh, hits the nail on the head when he says that when we imagine public prayer as Jesus talking about it, you could imagine uh, an iceberg. Now there's 10% of the iceberg that's above the surface and that means there's 90% that's beneath and the warning that Jesus is giving is don't let all of your prayer be the thing that you're doing in public. If all you want to do is pray in places where other people can hear me, they can think I'm a holy person, they can be impressed, then in the end, all your prayer is about is public perception. It is clicktivism. But instead, we want to be thinking about that 90% that is are under the surface, that the bedrock of our prayer It's not when we pray in public, but those places where we find ourselves alone and we have an opportunity for us to speak to God. Don't be like the hypocrites who only love to pray when they have an audience that they can impress. But make sure that your personal prayer is about an audience of one. But wait, I hear you saying, I feel better knowing that praying publicly isn't just a bad thing as such, but when I'm praying to God by myself, Uh, Sometimes my heart is just not in it. I don't know what to say. So does that mean that I'm a hypocrite even if I am praying by myself? That's another fantastic question. You're two for two. Uh, And I think this is one of those moments where we often get confused by what real hypocrisy is. Uh, Hypocrisy is when we lie to ourselves and to others about who we really are. A hypocritical prayer is when I want to give the presentation that I'm a godly person while really I'm just trying to impress other people. But to struggle with prayer, to pray even when I don't know the words to say, isn't hypocritical, it's actually an act of faithfulness. In fact, I want to suggest to you that if you are one of those people that struggles to pray, you don't know what to say, that seven of the most powerful words you can say are, Lord, I don't know what to pray. What God is looking for us in our prayer lives is not that we are eloquent, that we are put together, that we have great answers, but that we are coming to him and seeking to to communicate with a God who loves us. And an acknowledgement that sometimes we feel kind of spiritually bankrupt, that we don't have anything to say, is a great starting point. When we're speaking to the God who flung the stars into space, who knows every atom of our body, this is the moment that we have really to take the mask off, isn't it? And to be honest about who we are and how we struggle and that we don't have the answers. Because in the end, who we are when we're in our own home, everybody else in the house has gone to bed, uh, we've closed the door to our bedroom and maybe we are on our knees or on our, uh, uh, in our bed. This is the moment where we can be open and honest and vulnerable to God in a way that we might not be with anybody else even when we don't have the words to say, that's okay. We have a God who loves us and who longs to listen to us, and Jesus makes it perfectly clear that that's okay in his next comment as well. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine that they'll be heard for their many words. God doesn't listen just because you say things in a particular order. He doesn't listen because you fill up 30 minutes straight. God listens because he loves us and because he wants us to get to the harder things. Uh, have you ever had a, a conversation with somebody where the convo goes for 10 minutes, but after two minutes, you're just waiting for them to actually get to the point of the thing they're asking for? Uh, I had an experience uh, a little while ago. I bought a, a brand new TV uh, and I was chatting to a mate of mine and he said, well, oh, Tell me about this new TV of yours. This was early in the internet uh, days. I was excited. My TV can connect to the internet. I can get onto Netflix. Uh, I can switch between my different consoles. I thought he was really interested in this thing that I had. And then after a couple of minutes, he said, So, um, I guess you're uh, getting rid of your old TV then. And I went, Okay, I think I know where, I think I know what he's getting at. Uh, But he didn't get to the point. He kept on going. So you know what it's like these days? It'd be easy just to put something in the bin, but TVs are so big that they don't actually fit in anymore. They're all 50 inches. I was like, okay, get to the point. And have you found out how much it costs to go to the tip these days? You pay for everything that you want to really dump there, so it's hard to work out what do you do with technology. And I found myself minute after minute getting more frustrated to the point where I thought, if he doesn't ask me for this TV, I'm going to throw it out in front of him just to spite him. It was driving me nuts. And this can be the way that we approach God when it comes to prayer. I can't just be straightforward with God. I need to fill my prayers with flowery language. If I'm going to pray sincerely, I need to sound like the prayers in the Bible. We've got to be verbose and catch God's attention. It's quite likely, I think, as Jesus mentioned this, that he would have had one Kings 18 in mind. Uh, This is one of those famous Old Testament battles where you have uh, the prophet Elijah on one side and the 450 prophets of Baal. Uh, They had taken uh, two bulls and set them up on on an altar ready to go and then they said, we'll see uh, which God answers us as we pray as to who is going to make that uh, altar burn and there's going to be a celebration of victory for that person. Elijah lets the, the 450 prophets go first. And they yell out from dawn until midday. They cry out all of the cries they can think. They had signs of of their devotion. They would cut themselves to say, We are 100% 100 committed, God. Listen to us. And nothing happens. Now, uh, Elijah responds, I think, in an amusing but maybe not a gracious way. This is not a gracious way to respond to people. He mocks them for it. Shout loudly, for uh, Baal is a God, he says. Maybe he's thinking your prayer over. Maybe he's wandered away. Maybe he's still on the road. You know, he's getting to us. He isn't here yet. Perhaps he's sleeping and he'll wake up. And so they go from midday until nightfall, are crying out more, more words, more stuff, more ideas. Baal, oh, we want you to listen to us. And nothing happens. And so Elijah has his turn. And in his response, we have a simple 30-second prayer. Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, Today let it be known that you are the God of Israel and I am just a servant and that at your word I have done all of these things. And so answer me, Lord. Answer me so that these people will know that you, the Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. He realized it was about simplicity. It wasn't about him. It wasn't about impressing people. It was about God showing who he was. And so the Lord's fire fell, we are told, in 1 Kings eighteen thirty six to 38. It consumed the burnt offering, the wood, the stones, the dust. It even licked up the water that he'd had poured over to his altar to show how powerful his God was. God doesn't hear Elijah or you or me because we can fill an hour of our prayers. Rather, God longs for us to come to him openly and honestly and simply and clearly. On one side of the coin, God longs for us to be clear and simple. And on the other side of the coin when it comes to hollow prayers is the idea that we want to make sure we don't think that it's about a, a special word or a special phrase. If you say the right thing then God answers your prayers. And here's where the irony hits for this series because the church in years gone by has used the Lord's prayer for this very purpose. Now for many Catholics today, if they have sinned and then they go and see a priest, the priest can give them a, a penance an act that they can do so that they can get right with God again. And so they might be told if you say this many our fathers that's what they call the lord's prayer and this many hail marys if you say these two prayers you can earn your relationship back with god and once you're in a state of grace things are great things are right you can get on with life but we don't have to earn god's attention prayer is not a, a means of kind of reconnecting waving our hand and saying god pay attention to us in fact god doesn't uh, already pays a lot of attention In fact, as verse 8 says, uh, he pays so much attention that your father knows the things you need even before you ask him. That is, God not only listens to you and cares about the smallest details in your life, but he even knows those things before your mouth opens. But wait, I hear you say for a third time, if God already knows what I'm going to pray, why do I even need to pray in the first place? Maybe that means I don't need to pray at all. That's your third great question for the night. And uh, I've got two simple answers to that. The first is God doesn't need our prayers. He doesn't need us to pray for things. If I want to see uh, somebody uh, come into a saving relationship with Jesus, God can do that without me if he wants to. But in God's grace and mercy, God loves to use us, weak and uh, feeble individuals, as the mechanism by which he brings about his sovereign will. Let me say that one more time. God, in his grace and mercy, uses us as the mechanism by which he brings about his sovereign will. I've got uh, four kids, and semi-regularly I'll have one of my kids ask me, can I help you make dinner? And and when they do that, I know a simple reality. What would take me 15 minutes will now take 45 minutes. Uh, If I'm a guy who likes finely diced onion, I'm getting massive chunks of onion. I'm going to have garlic breath for the next three days. Uh, That is the reality. Things fall apart when they want to help because I know what I'm doing. I can do it. I've done it uh, for years and years, and they, in in a lot of ways, might actually be an impediment. Uh, But at the same time, I know that they long to feel like they are part of the process, that it's meaningful for them to say, I help cook dinner, and that I'm actually modeling to them and I'm helping them grow when I involve them in the bigger things that I might do. This is the reality for us when it comes to prayer. God doesn't need our prayers to bring about his sovereign will, but God loves for Christians to be involved in his purposes and he loves to use us as the mechanism of his purposes, and that we can play a, a just this tiny role as we pray for those things that are important to us. God hears us and God answers our prayers and he does those things that he had planned. But not only does God work in and through us as a mechanism of his sovereign will, but as he does that, God actually shapes us so that we might understand uh, really what we ought to be praying for and how, how God answers our prayers. As we jump in at Matthew 6, this famous Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, he's teaching them how to pray, he's teaching them how to understand God's law. But as he does this and as we see uh, the, the next 22 chapters unfold, we also see his disciples realize that the deepest and greatest and most powerful answer to all their prayers is in the person and work of Jesus Christ himself. That in his sinless life, in his substitutionary death, in his glorious resurrection and his ascension as he sits at the right hand of God the Father, all of their deepest needs and our deepest needs are met. Are you somebody who wants to pray for wealth? I wish I just had more. God promises us that in heaven we have a treasure that will never spoil or perish or fade. Do you find yourself praying for security? I just wish that my future was a little bit clearer, that I knew what was going to happen so I wouldn't feel so anxious all the time. And we're told that because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we have an eternal future that is absolutely secure, that can never be lost. Jesus is the great yes to the deepest need of every human being and the greatest prayers that we can make. And God longs to answer it and longs for us to pray about these things. And as we pray, God continues to shape our prayers. As we see the goodness of the gospel, as we are convicted of the truth of God's love for us, we long to pray more about the things that God thinks are more important. I will see particularly in the next two weeks that the beginning of the Lord's Prayer is actually all about this. It's not actually about uh, Jesus and who he is, but who God is and how that might shape his life. Our Father in heaven, your name be honoured and holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So as we begin this big series, as we think about these ways we don't want to pray, there are some prayers that I'll be praying for you over the coming weeks first and foremost, that we wouldn't fall into the trap of thinking that the Lord's Prayer is a a magic sentence to gain God's attention, but that we'd look uh, deeper, that we'd ask more, that we would long for for a deeper connection, that it wouldn't encourage us to be hypocrites, saying one thing publicly but doing other things privately, but that we would seek to pray in sincerity in that 90% that's below the service most importantly, that we would pray that God would shape our hearts and our desires so that our prayers might reflect God's good purposes for our lives. Let's pray about that now. Let's bow our heads. Uh, we thank you, Lord, that even in those moments where we can cry out, Lord, I do, know, do not know what to pray, uh, that you are the God who listens to us, that you know our deepest longings, and that you meet our deepest needs in the person and work of your Son Jesus. So help us, Lord, to pray, shape our hearts to desire and to long for those good things that we can pray about. And in your grace and mercy, we pray that you might use us as a mechanism by which you bring about your sovereign will, that we might see more and more people in Orange and beyond come into a saving knowledge of your Son Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.